Please stand for our scripture reading. If you've noticed, you do have a, an insert in your bulletin with the scripture on it, so you may follow along. Today's scripture is Acts 13, verse 42 to 52. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. For the past few months, we've been studying the book of Acts. And this book brings together God's plan for salvation. From the downfall of man in the garden to the Jewish nation beginning with Abraham, God promised a solution to the problem of sin and guilt. For 1,450 years, beginning with Moses, Israel had been sacrificing animals because blood atones for sin. After Jesus was crucified, he became the perfect substitute for our sin. And the book of Acts transitions from a religion of Jewish-only culture to one of salvation for all who believe. Now, you may wish to jot down some of the verses that I mentioned so that you can refer to them later. In Romans 1, verse 16, Paul describes the gospel as the power of God for salvation. The Greek word translated power is dunamis, from which our English word dynamite is derived. It refers to the dramatic transformation of all who believe. When the gospel is preached with power and conviction, the result can also be negatively explosive. Why is that? Because the gospel confronts sinners with law, judgment, rejection, but that's followed with the grace of God in Christ. This confrontation demands a response. It often forces some to reject the gospel 
because it exposes them to the helpless sinners they are and strips even religious people of their self-righteous aspirations. It's just that yes is the only answer that counts, isn't it? From the first preacher of the New Testament, this has been the case. John the Baptist, he was the last prophet of the Old Testament and the first of the New. His preaching aroused the opposition of the Jewish authorities to such an extent that they sent representatives to him demanding to know who he was and what right he had to preach his call to repentance. Jesus himself was the most troubling preacher who ever spoke. His life and message so infuriated the rejecting Jewish authorities that they finally demanded his execution. He himself stated in Matthew 10, verse 34 and 36, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The apostles also preached a divisive message that led to hostility. Peter's sermon at Pentecost was confrontational, yet received joyfully by many. Yet later, the apostles were persecuted, weren't they? Stephen's sermon caused such a stir that not only was he stoned to death, but also persecution broke out against the church as a whole. Throughout Acts, the gospel continued to cause cause divisions wherever it was preached. As a record of the conflict to the end of the book of Acts demonstrates. And conflict will often occur when the true gospel is preached, and we see that even today. The gospel doesn't gather everybody together. Nor is it a tolerable opinion that non-believers can take or leave. No, it splits people, dividing the penitent from the hard-hearted, the saved from the unsaved and those who love its truth and those who reject it. Most of the opposition to the gospel in the early years came from the Jewish people as a direct result of the rejection of their Messiah. In Jerusalem, persecution came from the Jewish leaders. In Samaria, the opposition came from Simon the Magician, who was likely either fully or partly Jewish. And Paul faced bitter opposition from the Jews in Damascus. In Acts 12, Herod, attempting to please the Jewish leaders, murdered James and imprisoned Peter. In our scripture today, we find Paul and Barnabas in Pisidia, Antioch. Now, there were several Antiochs back then, and that's what, this is Pisidia, Antioch. And here, too, the gospel would prove divisive. Like a giant boulder cast into a tiny pond, Paul's message shattered the surface calm between the city's various ethnic groups. The sermon actually begins in verses 16 through 41 where Paul gave the spiritual history of Israel from Moses to the present. 
Verses 42 to 52 describe the differing reactions to the sermon Paul had just preached. The initial reaction seemed positive, but later the response was mixed. Here we have the first full sermon that has been recorded for us that Paul preached. Up to this point, we've had one and two lines of what Paul said in the synagogues of Damascus and Jerusalem or to the people in Syrian Antioch. But here we have a chance to be part of the synagogue to listen to what Jesus has done to set us free. Verses 16 through 32 shows how Jesus was promised by David, predicted by the prophets and foretold by John the Baptist. Verse 32, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he was raised up, he has raised up Jesus Christ. In Paul's sermon, he combined Jesus' teaching on faith and the Old Testament concept of blood sacrifice and presented them under the offer of forgiveness of sin and true freedom. And we call this justification. And what is it to be justified? Well, the old saying goes, just as if I hadn't sinned. But I think in modern languages it would be, when the judge comes off of the bench and pays your speeding ticket and he says, no fine, no record. That's what it is to be justified. God forgives and never holds our sins against us. His promise, he will cast out all of our sins into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19. But what happens when we sin again and again, and even the same sin over and over again? Well, through prayer, we are justified again, and we're forgiven. God's love is not like human love. He doesn't hold records. In Christ's death and resurrection, God established that we were completely forgiven. By him, something that the law and the sacrificial system of Israel could never do. And here we see the powerful concept of justification by faith alone, which becomes Paul's central theme, and later he refines it in the books of Romans, Galatians, and Colossians. He says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that Through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Acts 12, 38 and 39. The basic meaning is that it's by faith and not good works that a person is justified, acquitted, forgiven, and set free. And ideally, if we are all without sin... A person wouldn't need justification, but only Jesus did that. Think back to the Old Testament. The blood of sacrifice became a symbol beginning when they put the blood on the the doorposts in Egypt before the Exodus. That's where it started. 
The Old Testament prophets predicted that God himself would provide redemption for our sins. This, says Paul, has been done in Jesus Christ. Here, Paul has revealed to the Antioch synagogue this revolutionary truth the Lord made clear to him. And remember the three years in the desert? That's where he made it clear to him. There was a tremendous response in the city that day. The people in the synagogue, Jew and Gentile proselytes, heard him gladly and asked him to speak in the next service the following week. The news of his exciting preaching and this liberating gospel of justification spread throughout the city. When the synagogue met again, almost the whole city turned out to hear more of this liberating news. The difference was that the crowd which was attracted included Gentiles in addition to proselytes to the Jewish religion. Not good. Remember, God's plan was that salvation should first be offered to Jewish people. And why is that? Because of the promises to Abraham. They got it first. In Matthew 15, 24, Jesus answered a Canaanite woman and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when he sent out the twelve on a preaching tour, Jesus commanded them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 10, 5 and 6. Paul would later write that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1, verse 16. Isaiah 42, verse 6, and 49, verse 6, written 700 years before, reminds us that God's plan hasn't changed. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. And now it's time to witness to the Gentiles as Israel was meant to do all along. But it seems that the Jews of the first century forgot that part. Nothing so infuriated the Jews as the thought that the blessings of salvation might be extended to the despised Gentiles. It was more than the Jews could take. Out of envy, not just the purity of the synagogue and their religion, that they opposed Paul and Barnabas bitterly. The violent reaction led Paul to a decision which had been growing in his mind. And that, was, and that would be repeated often in the future. And that was that because of the resistance of the Jews, he would preach to the Gentiles. Luke, the author of Acts, reminds us that the ability to hear and appreciate our freedom through faith in the justification of the cross is by the Lord's election. Now what does he mean by that? Verse 48 tells us, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now this means that some believed and some didn't believe. That last phrase is one of the clear statements in all of Scripture concerning God's sovereignty in salvation. 
It's the balancing truth to the gospel of human responsibility. We reach out to a gift that's been offered to us. The Bible affirms that in salvation, man does not choose God, but God chooses man. No one can come to the Father unless it has been granted him. From the 6, verse 65, Paul described Christians as those who have been chosen by God, found in Colossians 3, verse 12, and 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. To the Thessalonians, he wrote, We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. In fact, the term elect is used as a title for believers in several passages, and Peter calls believers those who are chosen. This choice by God was made before the world began. Ephesians 1, verse 4, when their names were actually written in the book of life. Revelations 13, verse 8. Now, when Steve Woodworth was here two weeks ago, he mentioned several countries that didn't have enough teachers for all the new converts. Every country he mentioned, I recognize from emails that I receive every day from Global Mission Outreach as an online missionary. Now, without missionaries, these people are curious about Jesus and hungry to be forgiven for their sins and live with freedom of knowing that salvation is not by works, but a free gift. And how do they hear about Christ? They get on their cell phones. They text Jesus. They text, I want to know more. And they're hooked up with organizations like Campus Crusade, and there's, there's about three or four out there. And they answer their questions, and, and these people are being mentored. And why do you s- suppose some of them are spiritually sensitive and others could care less or even willing to oppose it? It's the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Have you ever asked yourselves why 50% of our country never thinks about church or sin or where they're going when when they die? Unless maybe they're attending a funeral. But the big question to us this morning is, so what do we do now? And Paul answers that by telling telling us in Romans 12, verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Now, none of these sound real hard, do they? I mean, this is what good people do. And what did Joe tell us last week? He said, share your story. That's not real hard either, because... Everybody has a story. And the converts in Antioch were no exception. Through their enthusiastic testimony, the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Antioch was turned upside down, not because Paul preached about self-esteem, 
politics, or social issues, but he proclaimed God's word. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And for Christians, it shouldn't be a source of arrogance either, but humility. We choose because we were offered a gift, weren't we? We became sensitive enough because the Holy Spirit was was causing us to seek Christ. We were offered the gift of faith to accept the grace given at Calvary. And as sinners, we reach out to take the gift because the Lord already has a firm grasp on us and then fills us with his Holy Spirit. It's all his doing from beginning to end. And the same spirit at work in Antioch then will be at work in us today. We need to tell others the same basic message of justification by faith alone and the freedom which is available as the gift of the Lord. Ask yourselves this. Do we live as people who know We've been acquitted, forgiven, reconciled, and saved once and for all by Christ's death and resurrection. Has this resulted in freedom from guilt and compulsive ways of trying to make ourselves right with the Lord by our own effort? Are we liberated from having to win his approval or the acceptance of others? The message at Antioch brings us back to the core of our spiritual liberation. We are loved and forgiven just as we are, not for what we have been or will be or even what we will do. But remember, God is for us, not against us. His grace is not conditioned by our performance. When Rembrandt painted his famous portrayal of the crucifixion. He painted his own face into into one of the crowd at the foot of the cross. He expressed the longing that we all feel to be there and to recover the amazing gift of unconditional love through Christ's death. We are like the man who was overheard in a Paris cathedral as the words, Christ have mercy, God have mercy upon us, were being sung. The man was wringing his hat in his hand at the same time saying, if only he could, if only he could. But he can and he will. Not only in each new failure or sin we commit, but as the bedrock of a new liberation to live as free, forgiven people. As Paul wrote to the people of this area long after his visit, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Galatians 5 verse 1. Now this morning, try to imagine how those people felt when they heard this good news for the first time. Aren't we all in Rembrandt's painting? Think back to the day that you first heard that you could be free from guilt of your sins, past, present, and future. Why were you suddenly sensitive when many never give a second thought about freedom from guilt 
or showing up at a church on a Sunday morning. Remember this. When we are living in Christ, every day should be a new day, a new beginning to the rest of your life. Thousands more sunrises and opportunities to know that you are loved as you are, and therefore you don't have to remain as you were. Shall we pray? Dear Father, thank you for your love and your forgiveness. And thank you for the plan and purpose you have for each of us in our daily walk. Go with us now to celebrate this week of Thanksgiving. In your name, amen.